My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio. Welcome, everybody, and it's another show of the Hollywood Godfather with my compadre, Pat Piccarelli, who is my co-author, my friend, and what, everything we're doing. I think, I, I, I think you, you ran out of labels. Uh, anyway, <laughs> how you doing, Johnny? Hi, hi, hi everybody. Hi, everybody. So, uh, you know, we're going to start off with some sad news. Yeah, I mean, today, uh, a guy that I got to know through the years, a long time, actually, Brent Baccarat, and then uh, his wife soon after that, uh, Carol Bay Sager, I was involved with the production of That's What Friends Are For. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that, well, that money went to Amphair, only to find out that Liz Taylor didn't give it all to them. But anyway, but uh, so anyway, so uh, people who might not know about the song or the singer, speak, speak a few words. Well, Bert Baccarat is probably one of the best composers in the world. And I was managing Dionne Warwick for about 15 years. And she happened to have about 15 of his hits. And six of them were Grammys. And he wrote them all, man. He was, they, they were toured together. And that's how I got to know him personally during that time also. And uh, then I used to see him at Del Mar Racetrack every season down in California in Del Mar because uh he owned horses and he was a degenerate. And he also was a mutual friend that we had for for many, many years, Jimmy Durante, which our audience should know. And uh, so as a really nice man, and he died today at 94, which is a great life, fortunately. 94. So he was a he he was a degenerate gambler? No, I not only was it you no, know, he loved horses. He loved to bet oh. horses, and he owned some of them. But uh, he was a track of your dad. 94 years old, a full life. Yep. Talk about uh, uh, Jimmy Durante. He used to go into my father's restaurant. He, in his head, Jimmy Durante never left the Lower East Side. He was such a down-to-earth, normal guy. Oh, my kid. God, yeah. yeah. I, mean, what, what a, and I mean, I was just a kid. And he, he looked a lot. He was younger than he looked. Uh, I mean, the guy, when he was 40, he looked like he was 80. Oh, yeah. And there's some guys that like that. I mean, he, he really looked old. Yeah, I, I never saw him young, actually. <laughs> no, yeah, him, uh, uh, other people like uh, Gabby Hayes, Walter Brennan, they were born old. Yeah, you know? and they they uh, they capitalized on their on their appearance. Always played old guys, but uh, Jimmy Durante started out in in vaudeville in his own television show, and he he was a singer that had absolutely no voice. Yeah, I mean, like, like Jimmy Durante, he was another yeah. guy who was always old. Yeah, and but he, he into that, you know. He had a lot of hits as a singer, but he couldn't sing. I know. I, know. I mean, he he rasped out his songs, but he was so emotional. Yeah, it was a, it was a technique. The voice was one thing, and then he the, the music he sang, he, he he worked with it. It was a great technique. Yeah, his his technique, and he would he would always finish off his his uh, television show, his radio show, or any song he did when he was a guest. Uh, Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. Right. No one ever found out who Mrs. Calabash was. They asked him over the years. He just never said it. 
unless it was just the gimmick. But somehow it, it looked so genuine that he was reaching out to this woman. And people look for help. I'm sure. I, I, always, I always thought it was a school teacher or somebody that, that took care of him younger on. Maybe. Everybody, you know, asked him about well, that. I, I could see a, a young Jimmy Durante in, in, in the first grade looking like he was 60. You know, <laughs> with a cigar in his mouth, with that nose, you know, <laughs> you know. Anyway, moving along, uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, questions via email about the book. The book is doing well. For those of you who don't know, it's called The Sixth Family. It's a uh, uh, novel fiction uh, featuring uh, Gianni Russo. We know him. Uh, yeah, I met him a couple uh, of times. You know, there's so many questions. So what we decided to do is about a month from now, so it's now it's the beginning of February. So the beginning of March, we're going to do a show that just relates to the writing of this book. Because, you know, we kind of broke new ground here. This is a fictionalized book about a real person. This, uh, as far as I can tell by my research, this was only done once before by a, uh, a Navy SEAL by the name of Richard Marchenko. He wrote a book called The Red Team in the early 1980s. And it was so successful, like our book was the first book right. was very successful. He decided, well, he ran out of stories. They decided, well, I'm going to fictionalize my life and put out a series of uh, Red Team books. And he did. He wrote about, well, I don't know if he wrote them, but somebody wrote them. There was about six books. And uh, then he ran afoul of the law and did, did some jail time. And that was the end of the series, but uh, it, it was successful. He passed away about two years ago. Uh, he he was uh, one of the first members of of, of, of SEAL Team Six. Wow. And he, he was quite a guy. But anyway, uh, our, our premise is basically the same thing. We take a, a real person, Johnny, and we put him in a fictionalized world. But the same thing that Marchenko did, he realized when he wrote the the nonfiction book about his life, there were certain things. That couldn't be said. So he decided to do what we're doing, which is uh, do a, a, a novel, which is fiction, about periods in Gianni's life. Now, some of these things that we talk about in the book, this is a multi-plotted book. For those of you who haven't read it, there's quite a few things going on at the same time. It's in first person. It's also in third person. And it, it works out very well. But there are quite a few plots here. And uh, as our disclaimer says at the beginning of the book, this is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. Well, yeah, we should also inform our listeners that we were, I was advised by my attorneys because mm -hmm. after the first book, we had so much truth and so many stories. And a lot of this stuff is not protected by any statutes at all. And we wanted them the freedom to say the story. So now we found the way. Exactly. So I'll tell you what, and I, I, we just had such a good time writing this thing. It's just a lot of fun. And, you know, you can, you can probably talk. Well, uh, you know, uh, the only thing we're not going to do is, is uh, in answering these questions is we're not going to expose anything that will spoil the plot for obvious reasons. Oh, so yeah. ask all the questions you want and you, you know, you don't have to worry about crossing the line because if you do cross the line in the question, we'll just, refer to you and thank you for sending the email, but we can't answer the question because it delves into the plot. Now we're putting this out, uh, the word that we're going to have this show in about a month because of the people that are still reading the book and the people that are going to buy the book and read it. Uh, so we'll have plenty of people who are familiar with the story that can ask questions, whatever you want to ask. 
because people are bombarding me with with questions. And uh, so we're going to take care of that. So you figure the f- first or the second week in March. It's funny I should say that to that because even on the street now, people are asking me certain things. Is this true? Is that true? And I'm saying, I know. Whoa. I mean, that's why um, there's a compliment to you and what we did with this. I mean, yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, you, you can, if you want to relate it to something, uh, you know, people who, would, who have read the book are reading it. Uh, and in the, the book, The Godfather, uh, Mario Puzo. Uh, bases his characters on real people. He based The Godfather on uh, Frank Costello. He based Johnny Fontaine on Frank Sinatra. But back then in the 60s, when the book was written, this was the first time this was ever done. And people were saying, oh, that's that's Sinatra. He had to have done all these things. It's a novel. Right. Okay. Well, even, even with the, like the one thing I'm very familiar with, obviously, was The Godfather and Mario Puzo. I spent many days when he was my house guest in the south of France when we did the Superman um, premiere, he and Marlon came over. But uh, he not only used Frank Costello, he had Carlo Gambino as the image, and the olive oil guy was Joe Pafacci in real life. So he took three guys and married right. them into one. And uh, But like you're saying, I, that's very funny, I can't mention who, but I had a, a very strange phone call as soon as the book came out about a guy's wife and she said i can't believe you're talking about my husband like this i figured it out my <laughs> grandchildren are going to go crazy yeah and i, I said who are you <laughs> yeah no no i knew who it was oh, yeah. I knew the voice even and uh i said well first of all i would say this i know your family well your grandchildren are three or four years old and they're going to read the book <laughs> yeah right you know uh it's 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 said that writers who, who write fiction are basing it on fact because you have to get the story from somewhere i mean pulling the entire book a an entire book out of your head and uh having nothing based on on facts it just can't be done uh, as an example those of you who who bought the, the two ray yale books uh i'm ray yale that's based on the particularly the first book bloodshot eyes is based on a real case i worked for penthouse magazine and I just fictionalized, but that's me. I mean, people who know who I am could be between the lines and say, I know him. So it makes it that much easier to write uh, and, you know, put people in there that you know. So when you're writing uh, fiction and you want to use real people, you can use real names if the people have passed away and or give you permission. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's basically the ground rule. So anyway, uh, read the book. Write your questions, and we will have a show devoted to that book the second yeah. weekend. Maybe even two, because we've been getting a lot of emails. <laughs> yeah, we have. Uh, people calling me up. I, this is, hey, is this? And they start asking questions. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy that. Uh, You're getting the reactions. Well, well, that's we're happy for that, but that no one has exposed the story. I was thinking easily, you know, somebody can. Because there's, it, there's a, a lots of, I don't want to once again give too much away, but there's a couple of shocking parts in this book. Uh, and people who have given us reviews, and you know, this is true on Amazon across the board. You'll see thousands of, of, of reviews and no one will, uh, will, will write any spoilers to ruin the book. And if they're going to do it, they usually put in spoiler alert 
So no one reads it anyway. Once you see that, you don't go any further in the email or the or, or the review, thinking, oh, "Well, I'm going to read the book. I don't want to know how it's going to turn out." Right. But anyway, it should be a, a a real interesting show, and we will let you know a, a week in advance when it's going to be. And uh, we hope we answer your questions. That said, we have an interesting show tonight. Talk about shows. Yeah, um, this is a shocker. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard everything in my life. This is amazing. Yeah, you'll never hear this anywhere else. That's that's for damn sure. Uh, you know, people think organized crime is uh, conducted by a bunch of ruthless organized uh, uh, criminals who uh, were born and raised uh, in, in the life, so to speak. And that's what they do. And uh, they're very secretive. But anybody could become an organized crime figure by having an ongoing criminal enterprise with at least three people, you included. So what we're going to talk about tonight is an individual by the name we're going to start talking about tonight, uh, a guy by the name of Vincent Ramos, who was uh, wasn't a, a gangbanger, wasn't any kind of criminal, never got arrested, never got a parking ticket. Uh, but from the time he was a kid, and this t- this takes place in Canada, uh, from the time he was a child, uh, point of sale advertising that you see at like three o'clock in the morning. That guy Ron Popeil selling fresh fruit. What you know? He was fascinated by this. Uh, Even as a child, he said, "Look how easy it is to make a lot of money just going on TV and having a product." So he was always into uh, electronics, and he uh, he decided to sell encrypted cell phones. Now, this was in the early nineties that. uh, that he thought of this and it was very simple. He just bought shells of phone. Well, he bought phones that worked, ripped out certain things. And we don't want to go into how you do this, but it's easy. I mean, if I could do it, I'm lucky I could find the on switch on a computer. I mean, he, he, he took out certain things and he went online and there's an open source, there's open source software called pretty good privacy, PGP. And, uh, it's very good privacy because it's an encrypted software package that the federal government has yet to be able to break. And how long has it been out again? Oh, gee, at least 25 years, I'm thinking. Uh, and to this day, uh, it, it, the government can't break it. And it's called open source because one is free and anybody can contribute to the software to make it better. Uh, of course, you can't do it automatically. It's, it's going to go through the people who invented it, but it's all, all open source and it's free. So he takes this, downloads it into all his phones. Now, he advertised the phone, uh, uh, looking at the company. Uh, I can't find the name of it, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, he took the phones with the, with the intent. Oh, it's called Phantom Secure. Pardon me, I just... Slip my mind. Phantom Secure was supposed to be an encrypted phone company service with individual cell phones that was going to target legitimate business because big corporations, they want to hide things, trade secrets, etc. And these phones cannot be bugged. Uh, can't, uh, information cannot be downloaded. You, you can't tap these phones. You can't do anything. That was his claim to fame. It wound up that once the word got out, he never sold one of these phones to any legitimate business. Because his phone started ringing off the hook. And criminals heard about the business and started buying the phones. Within a year, he sold 12,000 phones 
That's amazing. True. And this is, uh, the phones were fairly inexpensive, but he would charge $2,000 every six months to keep it active. So do the math here. Hello. $4,000 a phone, 12,000 phones. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the guy became a multi, multi-millionaire literally in a year. And it went to his head. Now, if, if he would have kept up with what he was, with the original intention of these phones was to build a business slowly, illegitimate business, selling these phones to companies who wanted them. Of course, like anything else in this world, you got a legitimate business. It's not going to be a success overnight. You may run into failures, you may run into a lot of things, but you build it slowly. And he would have gotten to the point he was in a year dealing with, with criminals, maybe in five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, who knows? But he wouldn't have gotten into the trouble he got he, that he wound up uh, uh, get, getting into. He got a call, uh, Ramos got a call uh, from uh, Canadian organized crime figures, which was the Italian mafia. This was in the early 2000s, I think. <clears throat> and uh, he started selling them phones. And then the word got out to drug dealers, just street drug dealers, of course, they can afford it. They started buying the phones. Then uh, terrorists, real terrorists, Al-Qaeda, et cetera, heard about it. They started buying the phones. And now you get into an area where maybe the FBI is going to be interested in this because they were told about this guy. They were told about his phones. They were told about who he's selling them to. But the FBI wasn't interested. Which is, but you know, it's interesting to me. How do at that level of the customer, how could nobody not be interested? In CIA, everybody? they were not interested, and uh, uh, we, Gianni and I, know somebody. I'm not going to mention his name or even talk about him in the show. He brought it to the attention of the FBI. They just weren't interested. They thought he was a crackpot. They said, "How is this possible?" So he said, I'm telling you, this is the information, because he didn't want to get dragged into this plot. Uh, he had some uh, uh, contact with, with some of the principals, but he just left and just forgot about it. And so did the you FBI. Know, it, it reminds me of when we found out finally who the pilots were on 9-11. Yeah. That they were going to air school, only right. learn how to take off. But not land. <laughs> not land. And nobody, nobody, there was no red flag about that. Why would you want to learn how to take off and not land? Yeah, exactly. Well, one of these uh, uh, flying schools contacted the FBI, and they did nothing with it. At the time, and this is no excuse, and it is a tragedy, obviously, what occurred, had they acted on it. And it's strictly on the shoulders of the FBI. They did not share it with the CIA. They shared it with no one. It was big uh, turf wars back then. It's one of the reasons why Homeland Security was created. And uh, the uh, uh, intelligence services, and there are many, Many, uh, the average person never even heard about, operated on their own. Now they're under one umbrella with one boss that is the, uh, uh, the, the head of intelligence that encompasses everything. But back then, it was every man for himself. And the FBI has a good reputation for solving crimes, but they also have a reputation for not sharing, not playing well with others. And that's exactly what they did here uh, with, uh, with these uh, terrorists who were learning how to fly planes but not land them. Uh, they just didn't share. That's and, amazing, though. I mean, I bought stuff. Uh, I had a big case with uh, uh, with a with a client of mine. In fact, she she came to the uh, book party. Stacy, remember Stacy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very very uh, uh, savvy lawyer from the West Coast. She she came in just for our book party. But uh, 
we she had a case and couldn't handle it because a lot, a lot of criminal activity involved. Major, major crimes were, 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 were taking place, major laws being broken. She and I personally went to uh, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, attorney, the the federal attorneys, the AUSA, assistant uh, U.S. attorney. Name was Charlie Rose. We brought it to his office. Two of us sat there, and I told her before we went in because it was very uh, confusing and convoluted. Make it simple, because these guys are going to fall asleep, you know. And she made it as simple as possible. What they were doing, the crimes they were doing, the money they were stealing from investors, they never did anything about it, ever. Wow. And the 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 uh, the uh, principal of this uh, criminal enterprise eventually got arrested and convicted and he fled to Switzerland and uh, he got, he, he, he specialized in, in uh, retirement plans for hardworking people, uh, blue collar workers, miners, uh, people, truck drivers, things like that. And uh, he made a lot of money. His name was, I don't know his first, his last name was Rich. But the so all he was doing is fleecing hardworking people out of their retirement. Right? Yeah, uh, billions of dollars. He flees to billions. Jesus, he flee. His name was last name was Richard. I forgot his first name. He flees to to Switzerland, and he gets pardoned, pardoned on the last day of office by Bill Clinton. Why? <laughs> well, how can I do this delicately? I was working for this fugitive's wife uh, in a divorce case because he didn't divorce her. He just left her, fled to Switzerland. And she wanted me to track down the money and everything. And I, I found out a lot. But he was, in, he was in Switzerland and he wasn't coming back. And the last day in office, he gets pardoned. And just let me put it this way. Rich's wife, Denise Rich, a very nice lady, also a very attractive woman. And you can take it from there. But the, uh, Clinton, Clinton pardoned him, and there was an uproar. I mean, there's going to be investigations, and how can you do that? The guy's a convicted criminal. Uh, he never went to prison. You know, if you're going to uh, uh, pardon someone, they usually did some serious time, and then you let them go, you know, uh, for whatever reason. They rehabilitated themselves, or they, or they got 20 years for get, getting caught with a half ounce of weed or something like that. This guy was a hardened, organized criminal. And Clinton let him go, and and he figured and figured correctly. As time goes on, people are just going to forget about it, and they did. That's amazing. Last day in office of his last term, he he, he pardoned him, and, uh, and he never got any slack from that from anybody. Not the opposite. Well, point. he got a lot. Obviously, uh, you know the uh, his enemies in, in his political life were all over him. And so is the press. How can you pardon this guy? And then, I mean, I got called immediately because the, the, the press knew, particularly Cindy Adams, knew I was working for his wife. And I got all kinds of calls and I wasn't answering them. I kept my mouth shut. I did absolutely. That's why they call us private investigators, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. now everybody knows about it. But uh, back then, uh, nobody nobody talked and nobody, nobody took them to task. Like, why are you doing this? To me, it was evident because I was involved in it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he just got away with it. That's amazing. Yeah. So when, when when so when you come back to the FBI, was uh, how, how this whole, whole thing started. If if they're confused, it's too time consuming. 
but they're not going to get enough press out of it. It's not going to be sexy enough to make headlines. They may not take the case. And in this particular case, they were told about this guy with the phones. And I figured some guy, no criminal record, young guy in his 20s, he's selling phones. Who cares? And they just let it go. But he, start, he started to get greedy. Uh, and don't ask me why. He was doing fine staying on the down low, but he started to get greedy. And he wanted more and more uh, criminals. He gets involved with the Sinaloa cartel. He's selling them phones. Uh, international terrorists. And that's not what did him in. What did him in was he, uh, uh, his clients were also seeking information. So this guy Ramos goes to the head of what would be considered the CIA of Canada. And the head of it was a guy by the name of Ortiz, O-R-T-I-S. And he started, the, the charges are, he started paying the head of the CIA in Canada, whatever they call them. Uh, in fact, the uh, Royal Canadian, uh, not the police heard about it and didn't do anything. And this laid around forever until he finally was so blatant that they locked him up. This guy by the name of Ortiz, I'm looking at his whole name. Uh, well, it doesn't make a difference. He was the head of, uh, of the biggest uh, intelligence uh, agency in Canada. He's in jail for two years, and they're going to put him on trial for selling secrets. This is like the head of our CIA getting caught with the hand in a cookie jar. Just this week, they let him out on bail. And I thought that was very odd because he's charged with espionage. Uh, and I called the guy who was a privy to this. He said, well, they did leave him out on bail, let him out on bail, but he's calling witnesses. This is where his attorney was pretty smart. He's calling witnesses for his defense that have top secret information. And he was, they, 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 they were going to be asked questions about it on the stand. You know, what information did, did you give away? Why was my client arrested? What was this information? And they could not let it out in open court. He's going to get cut loose. And, and, and no punishment for that. None. And it happened before <laughs> with a, an FBI agent. Uh, this is about 20 years ago, who was supplying Greg De Palma, who was known as the, the Grim Reaper. This was a bad, bad guy. A very oh, violent. I, mean, I think our audience knows. Most of them oh. should know this guy. I mean, you, everybody should know this guy. We, we've talked about him in the past. This was the guy who had his eyes shot out, went, went home, put a Band-Aid on it, and went out looking for the guys who shot him. I mean, this was one tough guy. But he was getting, he was an informant for 20 years. And no one knew about it until after he died. He, he died of AIDS. He uh, he needed surgery because <laughs> how stupid some people are. And wanted to know the people who he was getting transfusions from. He would only get the transfusion the transfusions from his crew and people in the mob. And somebody had AIDS. Oh wow! And uh, that gave it to him. He died. I wonder what happened. I, they probably never found out who it was because, I mean, everybody was contributing. It was Greg De Palma. But I was going to do his life story. And his uh, his uh, his wife was named Linda. His daughter was named Linda. Little Linda, big Linda. And we were discussing this for a while. It just didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But shortly after that, this FBI agent gets arrested. And uh, he was looking at some serious time. Of course, he, he declared his innocence, but his attorney came up with the same defense. 
okay, we're going to put him on the stand and we're going to start asking questions about what information you think he gave up. And they just couldn't broadcast it in court. And he got cut loose. And they couldn't it. have a closed court and listen. I mean, the why, jury why? still has to be jury still has to be there. Couldn't he ask for a, a, a judge trial? Couldn't the government well, do that? that? That's up to the uh, to, to the defendant. You can get a bench trial, but yeah, that would have worked. Of course, he's not going to ask for a bench trial. He wants twelve <laughs> jurors there who are going to go home and tell everybody what he said, even though you know you're instructed not to not to uh, discuss the case. People are going to discuss it. This is top secret criminal investigations. Long story short, he gets cut loose. And this was his platform now to tell everybody, see, I told you I was innocent. I don't want to mention his name. Anybody can look it up. Uh, and he's still around. And whether he was innocent or not, we'll never know. But the but, interesting, you would think that the, the courts would change the law when somebody is charged with something with so much evidence, compelling evidence, knowing that he did it. Because the law says you have to have your day in court. I right. Mean, and you have to be releasing people. I know. You have to be able to confront your accuser and you have the opportunity to present a defense. His defense was tell me what secrets I, I gave away. Oh, no, I know. I, I know. And I'm sure our audiences too. But you would think, I mean, in, in this world of so many, so many bad people, there's got to be a line somewhere where, no. You know, it you should can. be, but then you're infringing on somebody's rights. I need these witnesses. What are you going to tell me? I, I, I can't, I, I, you know, well, I'm being charged. What am I being charged with? Be specific. So no, this, can't, can't they just say it in a closed court, though? There's no such thing as a closed court when you have a jury. I know, but can't they do it without it? All right. No. no, you have constitution. You have a right to be by to be heard by a jury of your peers. Wow. And once, once you say that, that's Mr. and Mrs. Joe Citizen. And of course, they're going to talk. You know, there's no such thing as a secret if you tell somebody else. You know? No, I know. I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing. Well, anyway, they uh, they get involved uh, with this guy, uh, uh, Ortiz, and now they realize the Canadians have a serious problem here. Meanwhile, everything is kept on, on, on a down low. This guy is arrested for espionage, and everybody goes quiet because the FBI had a plan. So let's get to that plan after we have a few words from our sponsor. Perfect. We'll be right back. We know where you live now. Come on. We got to make some money here. Yeah, all right. We are pleased to announce the publication of a new book series from Gianni Russo and Patrick Piccarelli entitled The Sixth Family. When the alleged daughter of Marilyn Monroe asks for help, Gianni Russo becomes entangled in a web of lies and violence in the search for the late actress's diary. Soon, he is enmeshed in a mystery that involves a presidential candidate, a disgruntled Mafia Covo, a retired NYPD detective, and the past of Mafia boss Frank Costello. Russo must race against the clock to stop a hostile reorganization of the American Mafia while trying to stay one step ahead of a faceless killer. While listening to this book, skillfully read by Gianni himself, the listener will have to determine what is true and what is fiction. Or as Gianni says before this epic story begins, this book is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. Look out for the second installment of this exciting new series coming in 2023. The Sixth Family. Book One is available now on Amazon.com. All right, we're back. 
So this ins- insane story of war and all. You know, people say crime doesn't pay. You know, it doesn't pay. Greedy doesn't pay. Wow. You you watch yourself. I mean, I dealt with a guy. He was a jewel thief. I talked to him. I talked about him many times on his show. And his thing was, I said, how come you never went to jail until you did? He said, because I always worked alone. I never confided in anybody. And then, you know, drugs got a hold of me, booze got a hold of me. And I decided to do home invasions with other people. And you get caught. This guy, Ramos, was acting alone. He built his own phones. He did everything. He just got greedy. So the FBI now has a perfect entree into this world of terrorism and gangsters and all this. So they decide to open up their own phone company and build their own phones. It's called Anon, as in anonymous. And they start putting out the word through confidential informants that they have a phone that is absolutely solid you can't you can't pick it you can't listen to it you can't do anything and it's cheaper than ramos's phones it was still out there because they couldn't start locking people up and confiscating phones for obvious reasons and then everybody would know so uh they paid an ex ex uh, uh drug trafficker a hundred thousand dollars to develop a fake encrypted app well i'm thinking it's fake anybody can do it <laughs> but anyway uh, that tricked organized crime gangs across the world. It leads to 800 arrests, seizure of 32 tons of drugs, and 48 million in cash. Now I ask you, have you ever heard of this? No. Nobody did. <laughs> but look at the numbers. I know, uh, it's insane. Uh, it went over the course of 18 months. Okay, it spread... The 300 crime gangs across 100 countries and over 12,000 phones. And they, uh, the FBI called this Operation Trojan Seal Shield, which spans 17 countries and 27 million text messages. This is like a bull in a china shop. My God. Uh, they uh, Eventually, they arrested 800 suspects. At the same time, this was a worldwide dragnet. You know, and you know, you can't lock up some people in the morning and then we'll, we'll go back for the rest of the afternoon because then everybody's gone. Oh, so no, they, they, yeah. they, they had a, you must have come uh, in with an army. I mean, uh, well, across 30 time zones, how do you coordinate something like this? You know? I know. Jesus. Okay. Uh, anyway, how did they? That's another story. I was get... very surprised that they were able to, this is across 30 time zones. I mean, um, I, I get confused just thinking about it. Anyway, they confiscated eight tons of cocaine. 22 tons of weed, two tons of synthetic drugs, and 250 guns, 55 luxury vehicles, and 48 million in cash and cryptocurrencies. Jesus. Uh, and they locked up every drug kingpin you could possibly imagine. Somehow, though, our American mafia did not get ensnared in any of this. I don't think they believed the word of it. What do you think? I I don't know. I mean, the, again, you're you're asking this so hypothetical questions that you. This sounds fictional to me. Yeah, I mean, but you know, you know how could the, the thirty countries are, are organizing a simultaneous arrest? I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And, and we never hear and, and we never hear a thing about it. But you know, you know, you know, you know, criminals are criminals. Any place that there's a fast buck or any way that they can subvert uh, uh, law enforcement. They're going to do it. So, you know, back in the day, I remember, you know, in, in the 70s, a lot of these guys 
uh, you know, wise guys, uh, not a lot of them, some of them had what's known as a black box. You remember right. this? Oh, yeah. They, everybody had them for a while. And you would hold it up to a, to a payphone when they had payphones, hit a button, and it would sound like money is being deposited into the phone. And you can make free phone calls anywhere in the world. Those they had uh, because there was no technology involved. It was just noise, you know, pings right. and rings right. and bangs right. or whatever. Yeah. But that, that's all they had. But they have not one member of the mafia in this country, you know, LCN, get arrested or even indicted tells me that they got tipped. I mean, how else could they not do this? It was a gift. And then wow. they weren't, the FBI wasn't charging the $2,000 a month, that Ram- uh, every six months that Ramos was charging. That's it was just by the phone and it's yours. You don't have, you know, we'll, we'll send you uh, 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 updates and Update stuff like that. On, yeah. All a scam. Like, like our phone companies do. <laughs> yeah. But they also, uh, on, on software. <laughs> they uncovered 21 murder plots uh, and the, uh, a lot of this took place in, in Australia, by the way, because the original informant, who you, you and I know, right. started the ball rolling by connecting with a gambler uh, who was trying to launder money. So once again, we're not mentioning any names, but uh, he had possession of one of these original in- encrypted phones that Ramos was selling. And that's what started the, the interest going. But, you know, and also people were talking. People like to brag for some strange reason. Oh, my having, God. Yeah. You, you, you go on social media, there's a guy that just mugs some old lady, and he's holding up the proceeds of her Social Security check for everybody to see. But uh, but people, they love to talk. And I just never understood that. Bragging about the crimes you commit. You know, the phone that you have, look where it gets you. So nobody ever got arrested on this. Nobody went to jail on this. No. Well, these cases are still pending. You talk about the 800 people? Yeah. Yeah, all the cases are pending. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, they were seized. When, when, when were these arrests? How, how soon? How uh, I rather? believe they started in 2018 or 19. Oh, wow, so this is all, yeah, I'm sure they're not in trial yet. Nothing ever made the press. Nothing. That is amazing to me. So uh, what do we have here? We got Phantom the, the Phantom Secure guy, uh, who his uh, his attorney tried to portray as an all American guy, and he was good student, went to college, sports guy, never got in any kind of trouble. He winds up with twelve years and uh, millions and millions of dollars in restitution. The original so, guy. So he, he, but he, how come he didn't make a deal? How come they that, tried him? They gave that, nothing up. That was his deal. Oh, that was an out, out of court settlement. Yeah, yeah. yeah he didn't go to trial. Yeah, that, 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 that was his deal. Oh, uh, okay. 12 years. So you can imagine what he was looking at. And when you do federal time, you got to do 85% of it. There's no parole. Right. There's no time off of good behavior. You got to do at least 85% of it. Uh, and the, the original uh, gambler, uh, where, where the FBI uncovered these phones, got 21 years. Whoa. And, and that's not only for gambling. He was, once again, uh, greedy. He started out with an online sports book uh, out of uh, Costa Rica. And he had a problem laundering money because he had too much of it. So they got him not only on gambling, laundering money, and he also took the spare change, so to speak, and went into the drug business. And he had a 
worldwide cocaine network. Wow. He wasn't satisfied. He wasn't satisfied with what he had. Which is wanted uh, to be diversified in crime. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as smart as some I I often thought, you know, when I, I was coming up in the police department, that as smart as some of these people are, and they're smart. Oh no! I know some. Are really, not, not only are they intelligent, but they're street smart. These are the ones who stay out of prison. But uh, you and I also said, you know, if they would have channeled their efforts into something legitimate, like Paul Castellano did. Oh no! Yeah. Why did he have to be a gangster? He didn't. No, but no, like you said, it, it. I know a lot of guys. You, well, you and I both know a lot of guys that could have had become multi-millionaires and legitimate business and go to bed every night and go to sleep. I want to be in that life. I mean, if I had a choice, if I was Paul Castellano and he was making a lot, millions of legitimate money between his, uh, his, his wholesale meat business, his car dealerships and everything else, he made like he wasn't a gangster. He didn't want to associate with them. He didn't want anything to do with them. What he wanted was the money. But I think it was too late. Uh, see, what, what I know of that situation, he got the privilege with Western Beef and all this stuff. To, because he was around people. That's why they went and bought from him. Oh. So now he's paying a lot of people. He's he's there's no way to get out of it. I mean, he he's like like not Par, Pardue, who created his business with a chicken farm and started building it. He was there was strong arming restaurants. You had to buy meat from them, you had to do this. And that was where, you know, his family came in, his brother-in-law and them. So he, I mean, he, he was, I only know that story because I, I lived around it and heard the stories. But like you're saying, a legitimate guy who was not connected and who had a great idea, why do they want to get involved later? It's crazy. I mean, I, I couldn't sleep nice. I'd always wonder if, if my doorbell rang and I opened the door and they're, and they're standing a crew from 60 minutes. <laughs> they want to ask me. I mean, I, I, maybe I worry too much. Don't these guys worry? Well, you know, it's something that, I mean, I could relate to. I, I had a choice early on, and uh, I, I was very enamored with the Bob and, and the power they had and the way they lived. And fortunately, I had some mentors around me that really cared. And uh, I think I would have went off the deep end, probably doing life somewhere. But uh, as you know, you did my whole my life. And the people around me wanted me not to get involved. And that's how I was so useful for them, just being a messenger. If I was involved, I'd have all kinds of eyes looking at me. And who knows what I, what other things I would have got involved in. Well, your problem was, if you can call it a problem, you shared. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that was... You know, you just shared when you no one knew you had to share. Oh, I know. I mean, uh, particularly when, you know, in, in, in one portion of, uh, of our book, when you were when you had that brainstorm to buy the gambling markets, that was brilliant. Well, yeah, I knew. Well, that's, uh, yeah, thank you. And it worked out well, fortunately. And uh, yeah, okay. nothing you could do about it. But, uh, yeah. and it was, there for, it was there for, I can't believe it took that long for a guy like me to do it. <laughs> the gambling was going on 20, 30 years prior. Nobody cared, apparently. You know, for those of the people who are uh, new listeners, and for the one or two of you in the United States that haven't read Hollywood Godfather, <laughs> Gianni bought gambling markers. When you uh, want to get credit extended in Vegas, you get what's known as a marker, and uh, they give you cash, but you sign something, and then you got to pay it back. Well, how many? How much did you buy of, of unpaid oh markers? Oh my god! I mean, 
Well, and the thing that people don't realize, when you buy these markers, it's like an IOU, but you can't go into state to collect them because if the state doesn't wreck gambling, recognize gambling, they're dead. And they actually kept them in the casino cages of every cage in Las Vegas at the time Atlantic City is open. But then they were put in a morgue. And I got curious one night being able to go back there. And I said, How old were you? I was in my, oh, Jesus, I was in my 20s. Jeez, I mean, who thinks of this stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm in my 20s. All I want to do is get laid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you... I wanted to do that too. Well, that too. Yeah. 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 No, so what'd you, so what'd you do? Go in there and say, or you just see? No, see, what I did, I mean, a couple of guys, I mean, I want to mention their name, they're high profile owners, actually. And uh, I said, you know, what are you going to do with these? You can't do nothing. He said, well, hopefully the guy comes in or whatever. I said, well, can I buy them? He said, you don't have to buy them. I said, well, I'll option them for 30 or 60 days. <laughs> but you know what? I thought the smartest thing I did that kept me out of trouble when I went through them, I looked for everything. It was simple, A, B, C, D. The fourth letter in the alphabet is D. And why I'm bringing this out, and this it's a no-brainer, that was doctor in front of everybody's name. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. So there, I know doctors and dentists that are not going to be nonviolent. Let me try with them. Yeah. And I went to Beverly Hills. I actually made appointments. As if I was going to be a patient, just to see who the guy was. <laughs> well, how did you break it to them? Well, I sat down, and then the nurse, they always had a nurse, and then and I was, you know, dressed well and in, 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 intimidating at the time. <laughs> this was before the Godfather, even. And, yeah. and then I continued it afterwards, as you yeah. know. Yeah. But And then I would just say, can you release the nurse? And I got something to talk to you about. He's no, she's that she's here for that reason. I said, no, I got something to talk to you about. Tell her to get out. Yeah. And he'd get her out, and then I'd show him this marker for ten thousand, twenty thousand. I'd say, now you owe me a marker. Yeah. And he would die because most of them were lied. Their wives never even knew they were there. Yeah. And then what I would do, I'd, I'd give him the opportunity. I want to. I didn't get to hit him with a strong arm or nothing. Yeah. Show me how and what you could pay. Yeah. And I did that, and it, and it was big. It was big money, I'll tell you that. Well, I, I mean, did you offer that, or did you want a 100%? What's that? Did you want 100% of the marker, or you gave people a break? Oh, I could discount it, too. Well, yeah. I got it on a discount to begin with. I got a 25% off if I paid it off. Yeah. And I was doing so well, they gave it to me 50 cents on the dollar. So then I was able to share 25 cents to a local guy. That would collect the money every week. I never even showed up in most of these states anymore. <laughs> so you, you basically were were a subcontractor in the in the exactly. the market <laughs> the market business. I, I got to give you credit, but you know, getting back to what we originally uh, talked about, you went wherever you were in 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 the country, and if you found out it was a territory covered by organized crime, you'd go and talk to these guys sight unseen, right. And tell them I'm here to give you money. They must have looked at you like you were crazy. Well, I, I you know, well, they, they knew a lot of people that I knew. I didn't go on, you know, I just walk. Yeah. They weren't going to talk to me anyway if I just went that way. But early on, as, as anybody wrote read our book, and we know that a lot thousands of them have, 
I was traveling the world meeting all these people in Chicago, Kansas City, everywhere. So they knew me. So I, when I say I'd like to come and talk to you about something, I got an idea. And I come in with these markers. And I say, we're in a Shylock business. We're not having to put up any money. Shylock business, they knew well. Yeah. And so if you want to charge a point or two points, we'll chop it up. They had no money up. Why wouldn't they do it? <laughs> exactly. It was so how many years did you wind up doing this? What? How many years did you wind up doing this? I did about 10 years. <laughs> and what, you just get tired of it? No, I just got too famous and two other things going on. And like you pointed out, how do you go to jail? By being greedy and, and telling people about it. The people I, that were in business with me weren't going to say anything because they were illegitimate. Yeah. So they're not going to go tell anybody. It was a perfect setup. Man. That said, uh, another Hollywood Godfather podcast comes to an end. Yes. And very informative one. <laughs> I'll say, uh, you know, just to know what's going on is you just sort of lose faith in law enforcement and the people that work in it. Well, you know, they, they created the law in a way, if you're smart enough, you could break it. Yeah. And, and, yeah, well, and, you, pointed, I, and you pointed out three guys just in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, in an hour. Michelle, hello. Just they went too far. You know, right. so you have to know when to walk away. Uh, that said, uh, uh, once again, those of you who are interested in asking us any questions about the uh, the creation of the sixth family, uh, of course, you're going to have to read it before you ask questions. But anyway, we will answer every question you can possibly have. Because like I said, we broke ground on this and we, we're having a good time doing it. And uh, I guess that's about it for this evening. All right. Well, thank you all. And remember, tell your friends about it. Send in the letters. We want to hear show. You know, um, what was it? Uh, themes that they want to hear about or stories? And as you know, we have the best investigative guy on the other end, Pat. So he, he gets down to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really know where you live. Hello. <laughs> yeah. He really does. Yeah. It's just not an expression. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll Thank you all, everybody. Thank you, Pat. And God bless you all. And stay safe. Have a good night, everybody. All right, good night. And that was that. But I'll be back. Thank you for tuning no in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob in Hollywood as well as answers to your messages. Good night. My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. 
and I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.